Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. My thoughts today come from a curious story recorded in Isaiah 38, also recorded in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles. An extremely influential tale for the ancient Jewish people, particularly those returning from their exile to the Holy Land. Three main characters in our story today. God, the prophet Isaiah from whose book we will read, and a man named Hezekiah. Hezekiah was king of Judea, the 13th in the line, a direct descendant of King David. He is one of the most prominent rulers of Israel after David and Solomon. He's mentioned in eight different books in the Old Testament and listed as well in the genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament. He successfully defended Jerusalem against multiple enemy attacks, most notably against the Assyrians. And he had constructed a deep underground aqueduct beneath Jerusalem so that the city would have limitless fresh water when besieged. Here's a picture of part of that tunnel. Known as Hezekiah's Tunnel, it was rediscovered in 1838. It is nearly 2,000 feet of winding corridor through solid stone from the Gihon Spring outside the city walls to the heart of the city of David. Truly one of the most impressive engineering feats of the ancient times because the workers started on opposite ends and met in the middle. And water has flown through that tunnel all this time Since it was built, the water still flows. At least it was in the spring of 2016 when Garrett McHugh and I walked its entire length with water up to our knees and only our flashlights to show the way. Introduction aside, here is that curious story from Isaiah 38, verses 1 through 8. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. And then he broke down and wept bitterly. Then this message came to Isaiah from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will rescue you and this city from the king of Assyria. Yes, I will defend this city. And this is the sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he promised. I will cause the sun's shadow to move ten steps backward on the sundial of Ahaz. So the shadow on the sundial moved backward 
10 steps. The word of God for the people of God today. In the parallel passages to this one, we are told that Hezekiah was struck with some kind of festering boil. And I apologize for my Appalachian accent. That's boil, B-O-I-L, if you can't understand what I'm saying. We cannot know exactly what it was. Maybe it was a malignancy, a cancerous tumor that erupted on his skin. It's possible that he had contracted bubonic plague. Maybe it was a staph infection. There was no medicine at the time, as good as Point Washington Medical Clinic, informed by science. And all we know is that it was bad. It wasn't acne. It wasn't the hives. It was a sickness unto death. It was fatal. Hezekiah is the king. He's getting the best care possible from, from, at the time from the most skilled practitioners of his day. And it is then that the prophet Isaiah arrives acting his usual part as prophet, being more direct and confrontational than comforting and pastoral. Hezekiah? I wonder if he called him Zeke. That's the short for Hezekiah. Zeke, my man, you're a goner. That's what he says to him. Did you see that? Update your will. Pick out your casket. Say your goodbyes. And just like that, Isaiah spins on his heels and heads home, the heavenly UPS driver having delivered the mail. The best we can tell, Hezekiah is 39 or 40 years old when he gets this news. He's in the prime of life. His children aren't yet adults. His city, his kingdom is under the most pressing and lethal threat in its centuries-long existence. I mean, there is never a time in life where you will have completed every checklist, attempted every ambition, where you will have kissed every girl or boy, climbed every mountain, swam in every sea, and tidied up every piece of unfinished business. We will all leave this world with words spoken that should not have been spoken, and words not spoken that should have been spoken. We will all leave this world like my kids used to head off to school when they were youngsters. A lot of crumpled papers and half-completed homework and jackets hanging out of their backpacks. Still, to leave young, to be struck in the prime of life, to have fate call your number when so much is left to do and so much life is left to live, it's a bitter pill. And it was a bitter pill for Hezekiah, he turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord, Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. And he broke down and wept bitterly. And we understand this. The shock. The isolation of such a diagnosis. The desperate prayer that he prays. The accusatory prayer that he prays. Many people pray like this and Heaven seems silent. Some people pray like this and the universe seems to move. We don't know why. For Hezekiah, God responds. In the telling of this story from 2 Kings, Isaiah completes his tactless delivery, all the bedside manner of a tree surgeon. But before he even gets out of the palace doors, God speaks to Isaiah and sends him back to Hezekiah with this reversal of fortune. Did Isaiah carry a pager? Was it telepathic communication? 
Did he have an iPhone? If so, his service was better than mine has been of late. Again, who knows? The message comes to Isaiah, and God says, go back, tell Hezekiah, I'm going to give him 15 more years. He will recover. He will live. And while I'm at it, I'm going to defeat this enemy and save the city. So Isaiah returns just about as quickly as he had departed, and he gets back to the palace. And I don't know, what do you say to a man who you've just said, you're going to die? Psych. I read the wrong MRI. I want details that aren't provided, but Hezekiah won't believe him. And again, in the parallel passage, he basically says to Isaiah, you're going to have to prove it. And this is so human. It's so real. Because we are all quick to believe bad news. We are conditioned to believe bad news. It's a survival instinct. You hear bad news and you know that then you must fight or fly. We're not as conditioned to believe good news. Because after all, there seems to be so little good news. So I understand. I'm on Hezekiah's side here. I love reading the prophet Isaiah. He is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. But based on this one story alone, if I saw him coming up my sidewalk, I'd lock the doors and pull the shades. I don't have anything to hear what he has got to say to me. So prove it. And so Isaiah does. He says, this afternoon, go watch your clock, the sundial of Ahaz. Here is such a sundial from Assyria during the same period. It's a single nail, a single piece of of iron in a bowl marking the hours of the day. And Isaiah says, the sun's shadow will move backwards. And here we have the first implementation of daylight savings time. Well, technically, since Hezekiah was falling back, it was actually a return to standard time. So I want to get some things off my chest about this. Can I just say that here is a precedent where only God should be moving our clocks around. Yeah. Spring forward. Fall back. Someone needs to stop this madness. I've done some research. Here in the United States, it all goes back to this man. Benjamin Franklin. Thank you, Ben, for the Declaration of Independence, for the almanac, for harnessing electricity, for the $100 bill, for bifocals. I am a recent adherent to those. But you can shove this daylight saving switcheroo right up your Liberty Bell. Franklin had this marvelous idea in the 1700s that if our country would adjust its clocks to actual daylight hours, the money that the country would save in candles would be astronomical. As it went, the idea caught traction around the world, but it had nothing to do with helping farmers as it is sometimes believed. That is an urban legend. It began here in the United States during World War I in an effort to conserve energy. They said if we will set our clocks the daylight hours will save a million tons of coal and win the war. FDR reinstated the clock switching during World War II for the same reasons. And as we became more and more dependent upon foreign oil in the 1970s and the oil embargo, we got stuck with it permanently in 1974. But our lifestyles are such now that it is ridiculous to keep this going. And to show you how insane it is, do you know who is in charge of making the time change each year? 
the Federal Department of Transportation. The DOT. That's why nothing's going to change. It's taken 14 years to pave the road to Destin. And besides that, they haven't given us back an hour today. We only got back what they took away in the spring. The clock moves, but there's no extra time provided. Not even a second. But let God give you some time back. And you'll know it. You'll know it. I suspect that most of us are living on extra time. Now, I'm not saying that God sent us a heavenly text message or a telegram. I'm not saying that God has directly intervened in all of our lives to extend our days. Certainly some of us believe that personally. But I am saying that grace has kept us alive in spite of our health, our traumas, our accidents, our addictions, our diagnoses, in spite of ourselves and in spite of our own stupidity. There are some of you here today, there are some that are listening today, and I've been with you, and you have heard the doctor say to you, there's nothing more we can do, and yet here you are. Some of you have had more lives and chances than a sack full of cats. Car wrecks, plane crashes, health scares, near misses, violence, the bullets that just missed you in that jungle, the landmine that didn't explode, and here you still are. Some of us should have never survived our teenage years. The sheer irresponsibility and arrogance of our decisions. But thank God that God must in fact look after fools, little children, and drunks. Thus, the lesson that maybe we should leave with today is not that the DOT gave us back an hour that was already ours. It's that God has given us years, decades even, for us to continue to draw breath and to live. Hezekiah puts it this way a little bit later in this chapter from which we have read, Lord, you restore my health and allow me to live. You have rescued me from death, for the dead cannot praise you, only the living can, as I do today. And I will sing your praises every day of my life. There's no daylight to save. There's no saving daylight for later. There is only today. This day that you have been graced to live. Live it for all that it is worth. Give yourself to it. To the surprises. To the mundane. To the exciting. To the boring. To the routine. To the unexpected. These are days that have been given to you as a gift. Because if you are any age at all, you probably are living on extra time by the grace of God. I love Frederick Beekner. Here is his conclusion and mine. I don't know what it means to love God. Really, I'm not all that good at it. But I think one of the things it means is just watch. To love God means to pay attention be mindful. Be alive and pay attention to being alive. Pay attention to each other. Pay attention to God as He moves and as He speaks. Pay attention to where life or God has tried to take you. Pay attention as if your life depends on it because of course your life does depend upon it. One life is all we get. At least one life here. Only one life in this gorgeous and hair-raising world. Only one life with the range of possibilities for doing and being that are open to us right now.
May we pray together. This is a prayer entitled, Take Time. Today I pray that I can take time to think. It is the source of power. Take time to play. It is the secret to youth. Take time to read. It is the fountain of wisdom. Take time to pray. It is strength. Take time to be a friend. It is the road to happiness. Take time to laugh. It is the music of the soul. Take time to give. It is the cure for selfishness. Take time to love. It is the key to heaven. And I pray that I take time to live today and for all the days that God has given me. In Christ's name.